welcome to Our Plant Stories. Over past episodes, we have been digging into the stories that plants tell us about people and places, and we've travelled to several parts of the world. Today, we are heading to South Africa, to the home of perhaps the most ubiquitous of houseplants, the spider plant. I'm really not sure how long I've been collecting them. There was a sort of fuzzy period, I think, where I was sort of getting more and then it got out of control and became a collection. A national plant collection, no less. We'll hear more later. I should perhaps confess that when I started researching this episode, I did have a spider plant. I've had it for years, perched on the top of the bookcase behind me. Let's just say it was a little unloved. If you also have a spider plant lurking in a corner, you might be joining me on a journey of discovery because there's quite a lot to learn about this plant and to re-enthuse those of us who perhaps take them for granted. But to the story. Jane Perone is a journalist who specialises in plants and gardens and has the houseplant podcast On The Ledge. She's also recently written a book called Legends of the Leaf. I contacted her about spider plants, having read the introduction, but the plant gets a special mention. So, spider plants. Can I confess that I've recently, in the last year, got a spider plant, but I haven't had a spider plant that I've owned for many years, funnily enough. But they were a very early plant in my houseplant career, dating back to primary school. Now, in the library, there were lots of spider plants. And... uh, they were all that kind of that stamp of spider plant that is just so totally uncared for. So they were yellowing. They were chlorotic. They'd not been fed or watered in quite some time. And I seem to remember that because it was a one story building, I seem to remember there were uh, windows like it was had windows in the roof. So I think there was quite a lot of light coming through. So they were quite, you know, they would have It would have been a great setting were it not for the fact that nobody watered them or cared for them at all. So these were dripping down over all these shelves of children's books. I mean, I was a massive, massive bookworm. And so I was just literally devouring stuff in this library, apart from the Dr. Seuss books, which I absolutely hated. Fortunately, got over that when I had children of my own. I now love them. But at the time, I would just be looking at these Dr. Seuss books thinking, what a waste of space. Back to the spider plants. So the spider plants were dripping all over the place. And I guess I must, I don't remember this. I must have shown some interest or enthusiasm for them. And I was also a massive teacher's pet. I mean, I was the ultimate people pleaser child. And somehow me and my friend Ruth ended up regularly getting out of class to go and water these spider plants. I don't know why we couldn't have done it during break or lunch. I really don't know why we were let out of class. And it probably hasn't done my math skills any good whatsoever. But I do remember tripping across the central, there was a sort of central garden area. And then all the classrooms were kind of spread around it in a kind of a square. And I remember tripping across this garden, going to water these blooming spider plants with my friend Ruth. I'm don't have contact with that particular person now, but I do know somebody else who does. And I kind of feel like I should contact Ruth and say, do you remember this? Was this just my imagination or did we get out of maths to water the spider plants? And so we would go out and water them. And I'm not sure we made a huge amount of difference to their overall health. I remember there was quite a lot of spilled water. I mean, it wasn't great around all these books, but we had fun doing it. And it was my first kind of, you know, my first commission 
as a houseplant carer. And yeah, so, but then as a result, or maybe not as a result, maybe just because I wasn't that excited, but I was more into the cacti, let's be fair. I went to the middle school, saw the greenhouse full of cacti and got all excited about those. Um, But I didn't have a spider plant really uh, on and off, but not for many, many years. And then I was given one last year on a trip to a a houseplant nursery uh, where they had a huge, huge glass house full of plants, including a lot of spider plants. And I saw a plain green spider plant and they said, would you like a plant to take away? And I could have had any of these fancy plants, but I chose the green spider plant because I just thought, yeah, actually, I really like that. So I've got a green spider plant now. It hasn't produced any stolons yet. It's still a baby. So I'm repotting it regularly because they do love to be repotted regularly. And But I'm very happy with it. But it's strange. I've offered up lots of advice on spider plants over the year. I've helped other people with their spider plants. But for many years, I didn't have one myself. So I don't know whether that was my childhood experience is colouring my future or just that... I didn't, you know, and when you're younger and you're moving around, I didn't stay anywhere long enough for a spider plant to get really massive um, as they do. I also like the fact that they entrusted small children, because you were primary school children, with watering cans of water around all the bookcases and the books. You, but, but what you have to remember is, as a child, I was more grown up than I am now. I was one of those children that's preternaturally adult at about the age of about five. And I'm not saying that necessarily in a good way, but I was a very, my report always says, always said at school, Jane is extremely sensible and mature. And so I was a trusted pair of hands, right? So I think that's why. I love the fact that the spider plant also gets a special mention in the introduction to your book, Legends Mm -hmm. of the Leaf. So it has got a place in your heart, even if you haven't obviously ever gone on to grow many of yeah. them. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. And, you know, plants can have a special place in your heart without them being something that you grow regularly. But I do find myself, since writing the book, I do find myself um, really looking at people's spider plants when I see them um, and really you know, enjoying the detail of them. I have to say though, I still can't remember with, unless I actually look at the book, the difference between the, there's two, the two major types, vitatum and variegatum. I still have to look that up to check which one, whether it's the one with the green line down the center that's vitatum or the, or whether that's variegatum. I always have to look it up. I cannot get that in my brain, but, um, there are some lovely spider plants out there and it's just one of those plants that I think you have to, you're in it for the long game. You've got to, you've got to think to yourself, okay, this plant is going to get massive. I've got a plan. I've got to have a big plant stand ready for this because that's how it looks best in that chandelier type form. And it always pains me when people say, oh yeah, I've just cut everything off my spider plant. No, that's really sad. It's meant to look like a chandelier. Um, But since writing the book, one of the things that did change for me was knowing how it grows in the wild. It then makes you think, well, the way we grow it, you know, on a plant stand in a hanging basket, it's not how the plant grows in the wild. Those runners are not meant to be dangling in space. They're meant to be seeking out new ground and colonizing in, in a clump. So it does give you a different perspective on it, but it's still 
a plant that I would highly recommend having. You know, I mean, I was down at the auction house on Friday and I did see two really good plant stands. And uh, I said to my husband, I could get that for the spider plant. He's like, it's not ready to be, it's not ready for that yet. It's, it's needs, it'll need an upgrade, but not yet. So I've held, hold off for the ultimate plant stand for my green spider plant. Once I realised that this houseplant is a native of South Africa, I knew I needed to find someone there who could join our conversation. So I wrote to Kirsten Bosch National Botanical Gardens, and they replied, suggesting that I speak to Dr Ernst van Jarsveld, as he had described a few new species in the past and would be best placed to speak about the species and the genus as a whole. So I brought Jane and Ernst together to talk spider plants, which in South Africa are also known as hen and chicks. Now, so spider plants that are very, very common in South Africa, and just incidentally as well, it was also the first plants that I started propagating. And it was my grandmother that stimulated me, always in a flat in Johannesburg, and uh, uh, repotting, planting, and various house plants. And as a boy, I enjoyed it so much to see uh, how the, these plants are growing. But coming back to the spider plant, it yeah, it's a very beautiful uh, species. So I always on the lookout because I love indigenous plants and especially those which are useful as horticultures that can grow indoors. So I've seen it uh, from the Eastern Cape and right up to the Limpopo province, but always associated with a little bit shade. So it's always in shade. So if one looks, we've got about six or seven biomes in South Africa, and it's mainly in the forest biome as well as the thickets of the Eastern Cape. But the plants don't always read our books. Wherever there's shade or, or a forest patch, they will grow. And uh, so they become so popular. And, yeah, and on the farm where I work, we have a very large shade garden. And it's one of the major species that uh, on our steep embankments, it's clay embankments, and it's in shade of wild olive trees, African olives. And uh, I, with, uh, with all the, with the students, will go around and then we will just take all these little pups uh, or the chickens and we'll just push them in, in this time of the year when it's winter and it's wet into the, the side of that steep embankment and they on their own time they root once they, they root they form they quickly they rapidly grow and they start marching down so we we usually establish them on the top end of the steep gullies where we don't like erosion and the plant will walk down plantlet by plantlet and establish itself and before you know you've got a it transforms it's a transformer as well and that's why a plant like the inner chickens or spider plant if it comes to a country for instance like australia who doesn't have all the natural enemies and you also plant it in a in a spot it will transform the landscape it just grows very easily and it will form dense colonies almost like grass and uh, so that's why what makes it so useful but I, i've never heard uh, of spider plant becoming uh, a pro problematic in in other parts like australia or new zealand or parts of america where it's warm but potentially it can be because many of these plants we take around and especially the spider plant which is so easy and these chicks you just break them and and uh, and they brittle and they yeah they wherever they fall they will just start growing if they've got shade and moisture they will grow does that mean that because people see this plant as an outside plant that nobody grows it as a house plant or do people still have house plants of this species no 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 it's it's more uh, grown as a uh, as a house plant in fact in south africa so with most people don't know it in habitat but because i know uh, uh, know the habitat well and i do a lot of expeditions to search for plants 
that I come across it always and I, I always looking out for new forms. And at Mboiki, I, I, at the time in the Eastern Cape, I collected a lovely form, which I, I also named the cultivar Mboiki. And I wrote it up for uh, uh, Plants Africa. And uh, it's it's our mouthpiece at Kersmosh uh, Botanical Gardens. We write up many, many plants, but especially plants with ornamental appeal. But I'm always looking for uh, nicer forms or, or for instance, with broader leaves or maybe shinier leaves. Or So one is always, as horticulturists, we, we always uh, uh, look at plants for beauty. And they, and these spider plants are beautiful. And, and it's just in a pot. They don't get much diseases. And they, they're easy to grow. You can go on holiday. You can come back. It will still be fine because of the succulent roots it has. In fact, so many South African plants. And the reason... I think they have it is because we uh, we're known in our country of having a, uh, say a series of good rainy uh, periods for a few years and then we get drought again and the droughts are more common than the, the high rainfall areas so these plants are, are so well adapted and it, it also tells our humans a good story in South Africa that we mustn't take good uh, rainfall years for granted. And that's why the plant have got their own little water tanks. And do you find many um, variegated forms in the wild? Or you, I, mean, no, I, I speak as somebody all. who's I'm probably unusual in that the one the spider plant I currently have is plain green, and that's probably you know not that common because everyone wants the variegated forms but presumably they don't come up very often as sports in nature i've never seen variegated forms in nature and it usually starts uh, uh in in, uh, in cultivation but it must originally come from the field so someone must have seen it grabbed it and then uh, an, an variegated plant if you compare it to the green one it's actually weaker because it's the chloroplast the green parts which uh, are like the sun panels which uh, gives the plant the energy to photosynthesize so the variegated form is actually a little bit weaker but incidentally just in the office which i work as well just below there's also a beautiful spider plant the very oh yeah the variegated one and some of them there's the, the two forms the one is the, the variegation is the white is on the inside and the other form the white is on the outside but they must have independently mutated somewhere and, and obviously the people who saw them just grabbed them so when i'm in the field as well i often look for not only that but other plants for variegations as well but to think that the first person who collected them was or documented them were carl thunberg from sweden and he went with uh, he traveled with francis masson and uh, you know Franz Masson was sent by Joseph Banks with the first horticulturist to the Cape and they traveled together and uh, Francis Masson collected the live plants sent them back to Kew whilst uh, uh, Thunberg just documented them so I won't be surprised if it if it was also collected by Masson and sent to Kew at the time <laughs> yeah it's one of those house plants that is uh, you know it's been around yeah. for a long time and we've been growing it for a really long time I mean I've seen spider plants that are getting blasted by sun you know in a window and they're still doing okay and ones that are in the darkest shade and they're still alive and even if you don't repot them very often and when I spoke to Sally before I was urging her to repot her spider plant and I actually repotted mine yesterday and I was looking at those water tank roots you were talking about and uh, yeah I was just wondering over that but they can be just so adaptable. I think that is one of the keys compared to, as you say, other houseplants or other plant yeah. species rather that really are specialists. They have a very specific requirement for a particular um, kind of soil, a particular biome, and that restricts their the possibilities for houseplants. Uh, and I think that that is what makes spider plants so special, along with those other stalwarts that we, we, we know and love. 
Jane, what do we know about their journey to Europe and their spread as a houseplant? Compared to some of the species in the book, which, you know, I think the most recently discovered plant in the book was only came into cultivation in the 50s and 60s. But this has been around for a long time. And Goethe, the German poet, was a really big fan of spider plants. And that's why you sometimes still see them referred to as Goethe's plant. But I think they had quite a tortured taxonomic journey, the spider plant. I think they've been in at least four or five different genera over the years until they finally settled in chlorophytum. And, and, and family um, as well. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, yeah, exactly. They've moved around. Yeah. It was kind of quite quite torturous trying to sort of boil that down for the book without boring people to death about all these different sort of now outmoded genera and specific epithets for the species name. So I think they're one of those plants that has really stayed popular for a really long time. I think though we probably fell out of love with them a bit in the 90s and early 2000s because I think I used a phrase in the book, uh, the wallpaper of our lives. Like spider plants are in a way so common that we sometimes just don't see them. They are just there and we don't think anything of it, despite the fact they've got this amazing history. So I think we've kind of got a new generation of people now getting into houseplants and they're not aroids. They're not the tremendously trendy houseplants that we are seeing on, on Instagram. However, there are lots of people who are rediscovering or discovering their amazing qualities and I think a well-grown spider plant, one that's been really properly looked after and has been allowed to uh, put forth a mass of stolons and is really become a, like a giant chandelier, is actually a wonderful thing. And I would Stunning. say it, it rivals something else that you could have hanging or on a plant stand like a Boston fern, but is about a million times easier to grow than a Boston fern in most houseplant settings, unless you're living in, I don't know, the southern US, uh, where a Boston fern is probably a lot easier. So I, I would put a shout out for that, for the spider plant being a really good choice. And if you style it properly and look after it properly, it can be really, really stunning. I don't know what the future is. There's been a lot of new cultivars coming on the market in the last few years as well. It used to just be the two different forms of variegation, variegatum and vitatum. But now there's all these new cultivars coming on the market. There's one called Ocean that's really popular. Um, And again, they're great because they are, as you've said, in the wild setting and as a houseplant, just so easy to be propagated. And, you know, that's why, you know, if you do end up with a spider plant, you're probably always sort of asking around if anyone wants one, because <laughs> you've got so lots of babies. And also, it's a very opportunistic plant. And uh, in Arbeitat as well, when one of those uh, inflorescences, the little pups fall into a, st- a tree stem, it'll grow epiphytically. Or a little crevice on a cliff. It, it's just extremely res- resilient. And as you said, if it is under trees and the tree falls and it's in sun, it will also survive that. But coming back to why it is so uh, common today, and what I've read in, in most of the books in the past is that it is the most commonly used houseplant. And because they spread those little chicks, because someone comes to visit you, Jane, for instance, or Sally, and, and uh, they see this beautiful plant, you says, have a pup. And they take it and it's spread all over the world and, and small wonder today. And because of that resilience and of the soil, so tolerant of different soils, and it grows often in very limited spaces, it just is a great survivor as long as it doesn't get frost. And that's why houses are the 
absolute ultimate ideal place for the plant because it gets cared by people as well. And you can go on holiday and, and that's a wonderful thing. You don't need to say, come and come, please come into my flat and water my plants. And if even if it wilts a little bit, you can see it, it looks a little bit sad and you just give it water and, and within a few hours it's, it's starting to revive and before you know, there it goes again. I was just going to ask you, are there any kind of folk stories or medicinal uses or yes. um, that, that come come from its um, from its native lands that you can tell us about? Because I'd be interested in that. For instance, the Corsa people from the Eastern Cape, and uh, to protect the the baby, they use it as a as a charm, and the mother will every day when she's pregnant, she will have a, a drink milk, and dip the roots of the plant into the milk or into water and drink the, then drink the water. And, uh, and, sh- and she believes that will protect the mother and baby. So uh, yeah, it's, it's a, a, a lovely plant. Remember, if you have a plant story you'd like me to investigate, then just email me sally at ourplantstories.com and if you're enjoying this podcast i'd be very grateful if you could rate and review it on your podcast app if that's how you're listening if you listen via the website i love to hear your feedback too in the comments section i hope you're beginning to see the spider plant or to give it its latin name chlorophytum camosum through fresh eyes i'd like to report that i have repotted mine and it is currently in a shady spot in the garden and already looking so much better I've also bought a new one called Bonnie, which has curly leaves. There is always a how to grow it part of this podcast. And this week, there are two experts who both hold national plant collections of spider plants. Mercy Morris and Sam Green. I must admit, most of the initial ones I got were just, and there's no way around it calling them babies because everybody calls them babies you could call them plantlets if you want or proper gills but everybody just calls them babies and most people will just give you a spider plant baby so you can get a lot of them in uh, nurseries and garden centers most house plant areas will have one get them on the internet yeah. as well can't yeah. you you can there's quite a few more interesting ones on the internet so then normally you'd put them in some water and wait for the roots yeah. to grow and then put them in some sort of potting media. Yeah. And I mean, with a, with a baby, pot. you can forget them for a year as long as you remember to fill their little glass of water up. They'll, they'll get their roots in a few weeks quite happily or a couple of weeks possibly if it's nice and warm. But if you haven't got the time, then, then don't worry. They'll chill in their little glass of water quite happily. When you come to pot them up, do they need to be, you know, if you're going to a garden centre, there can be, you know, houseplant soil or you might just have some garden soil or you might have some multi-purpose soil. I mean, what would you recommend? Do you put perlite in them? Do you, do you add anything to it? Do you put grit? Um, I don't think they're that fussy. <laughs> but and if you get if you got the chance, buy something without peat in it. Um, yeah because it's not needed and um any growing media should do um and i haven't tried it with garden soil but it'd probably work you'd do a bit more weeding and i'm sure that'll be fine too they're basically pretty easy going is what we're saying here they're staggeringly easy going one thing i made the mistake of doing once was feeding mine using 
control release fertilizer in little balls, the Osmocote stuff. And I found that it got stuck between the leaves a lot and it burns the leaves if it gets stuck. And you have to take it out with tweezers, which is time consuming. <laughs> so if you're using that, mix it into the compost before. Don't just shove it on the top. So, would, Mercy, would you wait till you see signs that it's that it needs feeding before you feed it, or do you just feed it anyway, or do you just feed it when you remember, or when you're feeding something else, or all of the above? Do you put yours on every year, or, um, yeah. or just when they need it, or more than once a year, or a couple of I've years, or does it just depend? The big ones I put on once a year, and they're about so big. Sorry, that's really not very helpful. Well, that's like two foot. Yeah. Was that two foot? Um, yeah, probably the pot's about that. Yeah. 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 That's quite big. They are quite big. I mean, their roots are ridiculous, aren't they? I mean, these huge, great big white snaky roots they have. Yeah, they're like, um, about, they're like fingers. Mm, mm. They're really, they're white, but they're, they're about as long and as chunky yeah. as fingers. It's really strange. And that's some, sometimes that's, you know, one day we'd like to look at if they've got medicinal properties. And in terms of aspect, where are they happiest in your house? Do they want a window with full sun? Do they want a bit of shade? I get a feeling if mine gets too much sun, then it, it starts to kind of bleach almost. Well, it depends what they're used to. I think probably you're right. I mean, they're quite tolerant of all conditions, really. I keep mine in a greenhouse because that's where there's space for them. And I think they they're happy enough there but they'd probably like it perhaps less sunny <laughs> but, but they're fine in there as well they're just it's just what they're used to need to be sort of frost free really they need watering but they can suffer a bit yeah, without those too many fat roots hold a lot of water so they're not that bothered i find i had mine out in the garden again because there's not enough room for all of them at home oh yeah they're nice in the summer yeah. in the garden aren't they they like yeah. it outside really and they went through that really hot period they weren't bothered because they acclimatized to the sunshine they really weren't bothered by it they thought mm, fine have you ever planted them out in the I've garden got a few out that have been out they must have been out for just under a year now and they are just coming back they're not that big but so they died off yeah in the they winter, defoliated right? but right. they all seem to be alive sorry that's alexa going again uh, <laughs> yeah they all seem to be alive i don't think any of them have died so yeah okay and, i mean they look nice in the flower beds as well I was thinking actually the other thing about the light is that they change colour according to the light. So if some of the cultivars will be quite different colours if they're grown in really bright light than if they're grown in the shade. So I've got um hang on a minute. I'm, I won't show you it because it's an audio medium, but I've got a Hawaiian that I've had indoors for the winter and it's almost plain green whereas in the sun it will have quite bright white stripes and bits of lime green and in the part shade it will be lime greeny yellowy green so yeah they all look quite different in different lights did either of you have encounters with spider plants at school i don't think i did i my mum would have had one though because my mum was a a houseplant grower. I think that's where I inherited it. It wasn't at school, but I did have some on the... I think my grandmother must have given me them, and I kept them not for very long because they died. And I thought, oh, 
you know, she said how easy they were and gave me a little book about house plants. And, um, and then they died and I thought, oh, well, I'm not very good at that. And not, I, But that's because I didn't know that you had to repot them and, you know, things like that. And, you know, I thought, right, that looks nice. And I thought that was it. That was the yes. <laughs> and then, <laughs> then they died. And I, and I wish I'd sort of known that you need to things grow they change all the time that's okay things die that's also okay you know and just keep going and try again and and keep watering and just observe and and it's not plant isn't static it's growing all the time so I had it in a really nice little terracotta pot and that I mean obviously that was fine for a few weeks and then it wasn't <laughs> so yeah I think I I didn't know that at the time. But I think that's so true that because way. I've all the breeders I speak to, that is exactly what they say, is that you learn through that. They've all lost plants along the way while they're learning. And it's almost like, oh, it's a bit of a, have you killed that plant? But actually that's how you learn is when things fail yeah. or you, you work out how to grow it differently. So I, I, every grower has said that, and that's what makes them go on to be better growers. The so, best thing about killing a plant is that you get to do a post-mortem and, and work out what it is you've done <laughs> i've killed so many and I, I mean i've killed spider plants just you forget them or you you do the wrong sort of care by accident my favorite trick is overwatering something that's slightly out of my reach in the winter and you you just keep it topped up and then one point you pick up the pot and you realize that it's sloshing with rotten water and you, oh that'll be why it's looking peaky then <laughs> everybody does it everybody does it all the time it's it's fine to kill things i i just like the thought that you do post-mortems yes <laughs> you have to that's how you learn it's a good post-mortem get it out the pot get it onto the um, the chopping board see what's happened Thank you to Jane, Ernst, Mercy and Sam for helping me to see my spider plant in a whole new light. I have learned so much in this first series of plant stories and I think I will continue to learn through the offshoot episodes that will go out on the first Friday of every month. If you've missed an episode, they're all available on the podcast apps and the website of ourplantstories.com and those episode pages are full of photos and advice from our experts. Our Plant Stories is presented and produced by me, Sally Flatman. <laughs>